a lot of people invest a lot of their time and energy into things, tasks, materialism, career, and at the expense of relationships. And really, you leave yourself poor when you do that. You may make money. You may uh, have stuff. But the fact is, uh, the thing that enriches life is relationships. That's the way God created it. God created us in His image. He hungers and thirsts for fellowship with us. And uh, He desires for us to be enriched by relationships. So that's beautiful. We're uh, going to continue in our study in the book of James tonight. And uh, we're going to be looking specifically at James chapter number 3. And uh, the theme of the book of James that uh, we mentioned at the beginning, and hopefully you're starting to get the full thrust of it, is James is talking about the marks of spiritual maturity. The way that you can recognize spiritual maturity in your life. These are kind of like the earmarks of somebody who's finally growing up spiritually. And uh, we start out by talking about the fact that uh, there are people who think they're saved, but they have false faith. They're not really saved. And, uh, of course, that's uh, a bad position to be in, to be deceived in this way. But we also talked about, more specifically, those who think that they're spiritually mature and grown up, but they're deceiving themselves. They haven't grown up. And uh, when Brother uh, Morgan was here on Monday and on Sunday, he talked to us about God's plan for us to grow up spiritually and how in the church, uh, you know, there are supposed to be infants and young men and fathers spiritually, uh, little ones that need to be cared for, that need to be instructed uh, and uh, then young men who are starting to come to an understanding about what the reason or the purpose of the instruction is. And then those fathers who can, who, who can teach and they're grown up. And uh, I, when, when, uh, when I woke up this morning, I was preaching in my dream. I was teaching in my dream. And uh, the, the Spirit of the Lord had it on me to tell someone here tonight. And, uh, and, and what it is that he wants me to tell you is that your, your biggest problem is you've been deceived into thinking that it's okay to be kind of half-cocked and half-hearted in your relationship with God. That remaining spiritually immature is just an okay option for you. That uh, you can uh, kind of have this relationship with the things of God and still kind of keep yourself connected to that carnal side of you and try to maintain this balance and what i feel like the lord wanted me to tell you is that's your problem that's why you're struggling so much that's why you're so frustrated and you don't even want to live for god anymore because when you live for god halfway it's a challenge it is a struggle it's an everyday grind and the devil has what, what he's got a foothold he can just kind of beat you up slap you around make you feel bad anytime he wants and kind of pull your attention away or as uh, as uh, brother molander said he can lead you around by your nose if you keep that carnal side alive so somewhere along the way there's got to be that decision point that says okay i'm going to go in all the way I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go after this thing with everything inside of me. And you watch and see if your relationship with God doesn't all of a sudden bloom and become rich and rewarding and a whole lot easier. My, I heard my mom say one time, man, it's hard to live for God if you try to live for God easy. But it's easy to live for God if you live for Him hard. Amen? If you put everything into it. Amen. So <clears throat> the dysfunction 
of someone who should be growing up, but they're not growing up. And, and Brother Morgan used the example of a 16-year-old young man. Uh, if he was healthy and just fine, but the only problem was he was still having to use a diaper, uh, then we would have uh, a problem if he hadn't taken that initiative and taken that step. And uh, I, I saw this video clip, and it's, it's kind of a disturbing video clip. Uh, but I've been thinking about it while I've been teaching from James. I've been thinking about it over and over again. And I think maybe in just a second you'll notice the parallels here. Uh, and I uh, just want to show you a couple minutes of this clip. Ouch. That's crazy, isn't it? I was on AOL News and I just saw that and I was like, that's weird. It's disturbing. It's creepy. But then there's people who think it's okay for them to continue on as spiritual babies when they should be grown up. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 3 1, it says this I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you're not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For as there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? In other words, he's saying you're supposed to be grown up. You've been around long enough, but you're still wanting to act like a spiritual baby. Hebrews 5.12 says, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, Hebrews 5.12, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. 
But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. This creepy thing that we saw is something called infantilism. It's actually got a name, and it's a paraphilia involving the desire to or the fantasy to return to infancy. And uh, I believe that there is an epidemic in Christianity of spiritual infantilism. That is, that there are people who want to be Christians. They want to be born again, but they want to stay carnal. They want to be born again, but they want to be able to say one thing and do another. They want to hold on to their impatience. They want to remain critical. They want to stay worldly. They want to continue to gossip and slander and continue in their sins. They want to be a part of the body of Christ. They're interested in this thing called Christianity, and they've taken the step of new birth. But there is no quest, appetite, or hunger to grow up. And there's a problem. This is a problem. This is not God's plan. And uh, it got, it, this is not an option. I'm trying to make it clear to you that this is not an option to stay a spiritual baby, to continue just to feed, feed, feed on the junk food of this world until you have no appetite for spiritual things. And you've watched so much junk on TV and you listen to so much junk on the radio that you come into church and you're not even hungry. Amen. I think it's time for us to say, okay, I'm ready to grow up. And I know that uh, all of us can go to the next level. Regardless of our level of maturity, there is a next level for us. And that's what I want to challenge us to during these Bible studies, to move to that next level of, of spiritual maturity. Because spiritual infantilism is not just weird. Spiritual infantilism eventually kills you. Amen. And if you want to stay a baby, eventually your carnal nature will take over and the devil will take you out of the family of God. Amen? So when we studied James chapter 1, James 1, 2, and 3, we're looking at three marks of spiritual maturity. In James chapter 1, we looked at this mark. A mature believer has patience through testing and trials. This is a sign of you maturing, that when you go through trials and tests, you don't lose your mind anymore. You don't decide to give up on God. You don't lose your cool and get mad at God. But you learn to be patient through trials and testing. And guess what? The only way that can happen is you've got to go through some trials and testing. And you learn this patience. But don't waste those trials. Amen. Trials are too painful to waste. I heard somebody say one time, God never wastes a hurt. He'll use it to teach you and help you grow up. Amen? So a second mark of spiritual maturity that we looked in in chapter 2 was a mature believer practices the truth. Not just talks about it, not just believes it, but puts it into practice. Faith with works. Conduct of not just looking at the Word, but doing something with it. This is a sign of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is not being able to parrot back what the preacher says and quote verses and have a lot of knowledge. But spiritual maturity is putting the Word into practice. Amen? So chapter 3, tonight, this is the third mark of maturity. Number one is patience in t trials and tests. Number two is putting the Word actually into practice is a sign that somebody's growing up. Number three 
in chapter 3, a mature believer has power over his tongue. A mature believer has power over his tongue. And I'm going to say the word tongue a lot tonight. And every time I say the word tongue, it reminds me how thirsty I am. So could somebody go grab me a water out of the... That was a nice segue, wasn't it? Amen. So a mature believer has power over his tongue. We're going to be looking at James chapter 3. And what I'd like... Here's the goal for this service tonight. It's not just to put some information in your head. But I, I, here's, what I, here's my goal. Here's what I feel like the objective is for tonight's service. The end of our service, I want us to consecrate our tongues. And this week in prayer, I want you to consecrate your conversation and your speech before the Lord. At, in this service, I want you to put your tongue on the altar. Amen. Somebody says, for some people, that altar may not be big enough for their tongue. Amen. But uh, in, this, in, in the book of James, beginning to end, you notice pretty quickly that James is addressing a church that has some serious problems with their tongues. And there are a lot of problems being caused by talking. James chapter 1, verse 19, we studied in our first lesson. He said, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. So obviously there were some issues there. James 1, 26, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, uh, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. I mean, if you think you're religious, but you are not able to control your tongue, then you're deceiving yourself. James chapter 4, this is a little bit later, but I want to just share. That this is kind of some of the issues that he was dealing with, James was dealing with in the church there. James 4, 1. From whence, wars and fightings, uh, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that wars in your members? And then jumping to verse 11. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? So uh, uh, there were some problems in the church with speaking. And this is a common problem from time to time within local assemblies of the body of Christ. We know that there's tremendous power in speech. It's one of the greatest powers that God has given to each one of us is our ability to use our tongue to communicate complex thoughts to other people. And the same tongue that can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of salvation, the same tongue that can witness to a person who is on his way to eternal damnation and turn them around and give them hope of eternal life is the same tongue, the very same tongue, that can tell lies that would ruin someone's reputation or break someone's heart. The same mouth, the same tongue has the power to do this. And in James uh, chapter number 3, we are given several parallel illustrations or mental pictures, if you would, of comparisons of our tongue and our mouth and how that our tongue although it's a small member of our body, has tremendous power. And we're going to look at these six pictures of the tongue tonight. And uh, they, they basically we're going to classify them into three categories. 
So there's six pictures that we'll look at. They are a bit, which is what goes in the mouth of a horse and controls the horse. I'm, I meant to get pictures, but I ran out of time, so I'll have to just illustrate a bit. The second is a rudder on a ship. See these enormous ships, and their direction is changed by a small member called the rudder, or the helm is another, another word that's used in some translations. That's two. The third one is a fire. The tongue is compared to a fire. Also, the tongue is compared to a poisonous animal. The tongue is compared to a fountain. Think, picture a beautiful fountain right now. Maybe you can, has anybody ever been over to the Americana over in uh, uh, Glendale? The beautiful fountains that they have there, the water. Just think of a beautiful, refreshing fountain. And then the sixth picture uh, that James uses is that of a tree or fig tree that produces fruit. So we're going to look at these six pictures. We're going to put them into three categories. Category number one that we're going to look at is in verses one through four. And that is, we're going to look at the tongue's power to direct. The tongue's power to direct. We're going to look at the rudder and the bit in the mouth of a horse. Let's read it. Verse one, James chapter three. My brethren, be not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Understand, the word perfect here, you've got to catch this. In the book of James, or a lot of times in the New Testament, the word perfect would be better translated completely mature, grown up, finished. God's process being done. Not that we quit quit growing, but there is this point where we're grown up. So if a man is able, if a man offend not in word, if a man's tongue does not offend people, then he's grown up and is able also to bridle the whole body. Verse 3, behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they might, that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ship's which, though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm or rudder, whithersoever the governor listeth. Wherever the person that's captain of the ship wants it to go, the rudder gives it the power to control and to direct. Now, let's, let's go back to the first verse there because it's kind of confusing. It's a, it doesn't make sense. Verse 1, like, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. When you see a verse like that and, you, and you're just like, what in the world does that mean? I encourage you to look at a different translation. Because if you look at a different translation, NIV, New Living Translation, all of a sudden you'll begin to see what it means. What it is saying, the word masters there is translated uh, teachers. Be not many teachers. And what we discover is that in the church that James is talking to, is that everybody in the assembly wanted to be a teacher. They wanted to be an instructor. They wanted to be a preacher. They wanted to share the word in front of the group of people. And uh, he says, be not many of you teachers. He's saying it's not everybody's place to be in that role. 
and, and it must have been that, that some of them liked the power or, or the assumed prestige of the office. But they had forgotten the tremendous responsibility and accountability. Look at this verse here. It says, knowing that we, who we, we, the teachers, shall receive heavier judgment. What does that mean? That means those who teach the word face stricter judgment. Those who are teachers of the word face stricter judgment. They have to practice what they teach or they are considered hypocrites. And they can damage by being unprepared or if their spiritual life is not up to par. So he starts out by saying, you know, everybody wants to be a teacher. But remember, remember, not everybody's supposed to be a teacher because when you are a teacher, there is a heavier judgment that comes to those who are in that position. And then in verse 2, he says that, uh, uh, for in many things we offend off. Any man offend not in word the same as a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. So here it is saying is if you're able to control your tongue, then there is this sense that it's an indication that you're also able to control your flesh or control the other members of your body. And uh, um, so it's saying here the person who is able to discipline his tongue is giving evidence that he can also control his whole body and that he's a full-grown, mature believer. So do you think, is this fair for James to be comparing or connecting the sins of the flesh or the sins of the body with the sins of speech or the sins of the tongue? Well, I think it's fair because words usually lead to deeds, to actions. In World War II, they used to say this. They had this saying, loose lips... Loose lips sink ships. That's a, uh, a, a, a tongue twister. Loose lips sink ships. What it meant was, if you talk a lot and let our secrets go, if people know where we are, the enemy, then they're going to be given an advantage, and we could lose ships, we could lose men. So don't tell everything you know. Keep this, the, the nation's secrets. And uh, but But one thing that uh, I've learned is that Loose lips can also damage reputations, and loose lips can wreck lives. So words lead to deeds. In verse 4, we, it, gives us, it brings us to the discussion about a bit and a helm or a rudder. These are two items that are small, but they exercise great power. And... Uh, uh, Everybody here, I'm sure, has been able to see a horse or be up on top of a horse and ride a horse. How many have ever ridden a horse before? Raise your hand if you've ridden a horse. I don't mean the little pony that goes around the, at the Monrovia Street Fair and you're so big your feet are dragging the ground, you know. I'm talking about like being out, like riding through the mountains and so forth on a big steed. Horses are huge. I mean, it's scary being on a horse if you're not used to it. And uh, because they're enormous, and they can go wherever they want to. They could buck you off. I remember one was walking down a hill with me on it, started slipping. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this thing better not land on me. It'll completely crush me. But the enormous animal with all of its strength and all of its will can be controlled by the bit that's in its mouth. And uh, the huge ships you've seen maybe 
uh, gone down to Long Beach and seen the cruise ships or the, the enormous uh, um, uh, uh, aircraft carriers uh, in, uh, uh, at some of the, in San Diego. And, and it's just amazing how enormous these things are. But the small little relative to the size of the ship, that small helm or rudder is able to control its destiny. And one man sitting in the right seat with a firm hand on the wheel can control the direction of that enormous ship. So the likeness is, is that a tongue being a small member has the power to accomplish great things and to give direction to something much larger than itself. One thing that uh, uh, you notice here is that the bit and the rudder both have to overcome <clears throat> contrary forces. It talks about the fierce winds that blow. And uh, first of all, when the bit is put in the mouth of the horse, there has to be this overcoming or conquering the wild nature of the horse. Horses are not born broken. They have to be broken. And some of those wild mustangs and stallions are very, very challenging to break because they've got this wild nature within them that does not want to be controlled and manipulated so the bit has to overcome, if you would, the wild nature of the horse. And the rudder of the ship has to overcome winds and currents that could drive the ship off of course. So both of these things have to overcome contrary forces. And I want to tell you that the human tongue must likewise overcome contrary forces to master the person. The first thing I think you could make draw the parallel to the wild nature of the horse and our old human nature that wants to control us and make us sin. Mm -hmm. So that is working against our tongue. It's working against our tongue. And the second thing, the ships are facing the contrary nature of the winds and we face circumstances around us that might make us say things that we shouldn't say. So it's two ways. There's that wild nature on the inside and circumstances on the outside that affect us, that control us. Sin on the inside and pressure on the outside are seeking to get control of the tongue, to determine the direction of the body. And if it can jerk loose the control of the, of the hand that is controlling the bit and the hand that's controlling the rudder, then it can control the direction of the greater thing. And so uh, both the bit and the rudder have to be under the control of a strong hand. That's one thing I learned when I uh, was being taught to ride the horse. You keep a, a good grip. I mean, you don't pull it tight. You leave it loose, but you have a firm grip on it because you want to make sure that the horse remembers that you're in control and you keep a firm grip on it. And then uh, uh, those that uh, direct the ship, no doubt you've seen you know, them fighting with the wheel, fighting uh, maybe uh, during a storm, fighting, and there's got to be that firm hand so that the wheel doesn't just spin about whichever way that it wants to go. And Jesus Christ has to be in control of our tongues. He's got to be the one with the firm control. Don't be mistaken into believing that you have the power to control your tongue. The Bible says no man can tame it. No man can tame it. It has to be submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ. 
Proverbs 18 and 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Death and, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your tongue is powerful. Speech is powerful. I want to get this point across to you. It can do a lot of damage. And speech can do a lot of good and do a lot of damage as well. Psalms 141 and 3. David said this. Let's read what David said. He said, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the doors of my lips. And then in verse 4 he says, Incline not my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. So he, he draws this. There, there's a connection here. He says, set a, set a watch before my mouth and keep the doors of my lips, but also incline not my heart to do evil things. David knew that the heart was the key to right speech. The heart is the key to right speech. Proverbs 12 and 34, I'm sorry, Matthew 12 and 34, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of of the heart, second part, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. David understood this. Jesus Christ understood this. You better get this. And that is, it's not a matter of controlling your tongue. It's a matter of surrendering your tongue and your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's a matter of purging your heart. Because when your heart is full of evil, when your heart is full of malice, when your heart is full of jealousy, when your heart is full of envyings and bitterness, what's going to happen? It's going to come out, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It's an overflow valve. It's like, you know how the pressure builds up and finally it goes. Where does it go? The pressure that's in a heart that's not right with God or a heart that's full of unforgiveness, a heart that has things that need to be laid on the altar that haven't been laid on the altar yet will manifest itself through the tongue, through the mouth. And so it has to be surrendered to the Lord, but also we've got to understand that our, the condition of our heart is the key. When Jesus is the Lord of the heart, then he's Lord of the lips too. Amen. You got that? So the bit and the rudder have the power to direct. They, they not only affect the life of the person speaking, I want you to understand that the tongue has the power to affect the lives of others as well. Directionally. Because a horse that is either misguided or allowed to go can cause injury. A ship with nobody driving it, with nobody directing it, can cause tremendous loss, damage, injury, and even death when there is no good direction. And the words that you speak give guidance. They give guidance. I, I, I want you guys to get this point. Because especially when you're talking to someone who is impressionable, especially when you're talking to someone who is a new Christian, the words that you speak can provide direction for their life. And, and I, 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 want, I want you to, if somebody comes to you and they've been in sin, it's your responsibility to pray for them, 
to encourage them, to help them. But make sure you don't endorse that sin to make them feel better. Because what do you do? You're giving direction to them by your words. So your words provide direction to others. So the words that you speak give guidance. They may give approval to something. So never underestimate the power of your words to give guidance. People have been, have been won to Christ using the tongue as a guide. Somebody spoke to them words that gave direction to them. Jesus was an example of this. He spoke to the woman at the well, and she became a tremendous soul winner. Peter, when he got up and spoke at Pentecost, many people were brought into the kingdom. 3,000 uh, uh, that day through the power of his tongue. And just think about this. I love to tell the story of a man named Denzel Richardson. You guys never met him before. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's deceased. But he has some sons, grandchildren that are still alive. Denzel Richardson was a coal miner in Kentucky. He went every day and worked in the coal mine in those rough conditions. And there was a co-worker who was a spirit-filled apostolic uh, believer and uh, started talking to Denzel about the goodness of God. Started talking to Denzel about the powerful moves of the Spirit and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost in the service. And so Denzel, this coal miner, decides to go to church with him. And uh, long story short, Denzel Richardson is filled with the Holy Ghost and uh, gives his life to the Lord. Let me make this long story short. Denzel Richardson decided to give his life to ministry. He wanted to work for God. He and his wife, who was now saved, felt led of God to be missionaries. And so they became missionaries for the United Pentecostal Church in the 60s. And they wanted to go to a place where there were no apostolic churches. And so they selected the island of Madagascar off the corner, off the uh, coast of Africa. So they went there, the two of them, and they landed in that nation, not a single apostolic there, and started having Bible studies. Guess what? Their son became a missionary. Their grandson is now a missionary. Chris, and I've been to preach there at Chris. I preached a, a youth event there where there were 10,000 young people there that were spirit-filled. And there are over 300,000 in that nation that are spirit-filled apostolics, multiple churches, miracles happening everywhere. That's because one person took their tongue and decided, I'm going to share the message of Jesus Christ in this coal mine. And now there are literally thousands of people who are on their way to heaven that would have never heard the story of Jesus Christ if somebody hadn't decided to witness to an old coal miner. So never underestimate the power of your tongue to change direction in a big way. Amen. Praise God. So it would do us good to daily read from the book of Proverbs. Everybody say Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. There are many, many references in the book of Proverbs to the importance of proper speech, proper speaking. We could, I could give you dozens and dozens of examples. Let me give you three real quick. Proverbs 15.1. It says, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. 
So with your tongue, you either have the opportunity to turn away wrath or to stir the pot, stir up the anger. Proverbs 12 and 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. What does abomination mean? It means something God hates. Something that like turns God's stomach in, in a sense that we can understand. You know, he doesn't literally get nauseous, but it's just that that's the way we would relate to it in an anthropomorphic way is that it turns his stomach. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that, dr- that deal truly are his delight. Those that speak the truth, delightful to the Lord. Those that lie make him sick. Proverbs 10 and 19 says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Let's look at another version. Sarah, can you pull up another version of that verse maybe? In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. It's like they said it backwards. That's the old school King James Version. Sometimes you miss the whole meaning, but let's, let's see what it says. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. Let's try the, this version. In the multitude of words there wanteth not... Well, that's basically the same thing. Guess what it's saying? Right. The more talk, the less truth. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. The more you talk, the more likely you're, a, you're apt to sin with your speech. But he that refraineth his lips doeth wisely. Amen. There's some wisdom there. And, and, and uh, some people just talk too much. All right? Arrest your mouth. Some people, the strongest muscles they have are these right here. And uh, I remember once, <laughs> this is funny, but uh, there was a lady in the church that uh, I grew, grew up in, my dad pastored. And uh, she had a testimony one night. She wanted to give a testimony to the Lord. And uh, so she said, Brother Brown, could I give a testimony? And my dad said, sure. Handed her the mic. She took the cordless mic and put it up to her head like this, like a telephone, and started telling her testimony. She spent some time on the telephone. Amen. All right. But like a bit and a rudder, the tongue has power to direct. And it's very important that our tongues direct people and ourselves in the right direction. The next, the next uh, point I'd like to look at is we're going to look at the fire and the poisonous animal. And the tongue and rudder, uh, the rudder and the bit shows us that the tongue has power to direct. But the fire and the, the poisonous animal shows us that the tongue has power to destroy. Power to destroy. Let's read verses 5 through 8. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So, it is the tongue, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. Look at this. And is set on fire of hell. For every uh, kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Full of poison. So we see here the example of a fire, an example of 
animals that can be tamed, but the tongue is like an animal that is poisonous that cannot be tamed. Living in California here, all of us have observed the destructive power of forest fires. Anybody been by and seen where a forest fire has come through? Or you've seen probably in the newspaper or on the news, on the Internet, these uh, neighborhoods that have been ravaged by the forest fires. It's amazing that they usually discover that it was either started accidentally by a cigarette thrown out the window or an untended little bitty uh, campfire or somebody lit a match just goofing around some kids and it started a fire that destroyed people's lives. People lost everything, personal mementos. People lost family members to these fires. People lost their homes to these fires because fires have a tremendous power to destroy. A lot of times it starts with a little spark, a little match, a little campfire. And the nature of a fire is that it can start with a small spark, but it can grow to destroy an entire city. 1871, a large part of the city of Chicago was completely destroyed in a fire. There was a fire that happened in London that destroyed many, uh, literally millions of books, old ancient books. The city, uh, the, the, the fire in Chicago started with a small fire in a little barn, the old Leary barn, and it ended up leaving 100,000 people homeless and 300 people dead from one little fire. And I think the, the, uh, the old wives tell us, like, didn't the cow kick over a bucket or something and started, I don't know if that's true or not, but it started out with a small fire in a little, in a little barn and ended up destroying the entire city. You don't play with fire. You don't mess with fire. Because it can burn out of control. I remember uh, one scary memory when, memory when I was a kid, a child. I grew up in uh, Iowa, in Knoxville, Iowa, a small little town, and we were always out in the country at uh, visit with, with our friends that had a uh, acreage and uh, uh, fields, pond, and uh, you know that's where I learned to shoot a BB gun and uh, to shoot a squirrel and a rabbit, and where I learned to uh, dam up the creek and uh, uh, make a little swimming hole, uh, and uh, just all the outdoor stuff. It, it was enjoyable. I enjoyed going out there almost every weekend to their house. Uh, but I remember one time, one of the boys, it was it was uh, Brian and Lonnie. They were the two boys about my age. And Brian started a fire, and, uh, you know, he was just wanting to build a big fire. What is it with boys and fire? I don't know what it is, but there is a fascination there. And we, we built a fire, and... Uh, the next thing we knew, that fire was raging. And the next thing we knew, the field had caught on fire. And the next thing we know, it was sweeping through that field. And uh, you talk about something that caught my attention. You don't mess with that. It gets out of control fast. Our words can start a fire. Our words can start a fire. Proverbs 26 and 20 says this. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tail bearer, the strife ceaseth. Doesn't matter what happened. As long as you keep adding wood to the fire, the fire is going to burn. But when people quit talking about it, the strife ceaseth. 
Verse 21, as coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife, to create problems. And in churches, from time to time, it's almost universal, there may be members who cannot control their tongue, and the result is destruction. It's destructive when someone stirs up or kindles strife. And like a fire, the tongue can heat things up fast. Psalms 39 and 1. I said, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. Now jump to verse 3. Verse 3 says, My heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burned, then spake I with my mouth. Like I got hot, and then I spake with my mouth. And uh, so this is a mistake and an error because a hot head and a hot hard heart can lead to burning words that we will regret later. Say amen if you believe it's true. Proverbs 14:29. I'm giving you a lot of word tonight here. Proverbs 14:29. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. Let me tell you something about fire. Fire not only starts small and becomes big. Fire not only creates heat, but it also defiles. You ever been in a house before that had smoke damage? It just ruined everything. The smoke destroyed everything. And what the fire didn't eat up was destroyed by the defiling of the smoke. And fiery words from a hot heart can defile a home, can destroy relationships, can mess up a youth group. It can hurt a church. Fire burns. Fire hurts. Do you believe that? Fire hurts. You don't believe it? Try putting your hand on the stove. Stick your hand in, in, in the campfire. Go home in the fireplace, light a fire, put your hand in there for five minutes. No, don't do that. Don't try this at home. Fire burns and fire hurts, and our words can burn, and our words can hurt. Amen? Jesus experienced this in his ministry. He accepted uh, invitations to dine with people. People said he's a, he's a glutton and a wine bibber. Whenever he worked miracles and cast out evil spirits, people talked about him behind his back. And they said he was in league with Satan. He cast out the devil through the power of Satan. So Jesus knew what it was to be burnt by words, to be hurt by words. But here's the thing that, that, that uh, I believe James is trying to instruct us. And this is about growing up, okay, uh, people of God. This is about growing up is learning to control our tongue, growing up spiritually. Fire spreads. And the more fuel that's added to, to the fire, the faster and the further it spreads. And the faster and further it spreads, the more destruction it causes. And we add fuel to the fire with our tongues. And an, a person's entire life can be injured or destroyed by someone's tongue. I, I want to share this with you. You've got to get this point. Time does not correct the sins of the tongue. Because you can confess, you can ask forgiveness for the sins of speech, you can apologize, but the fire keeps on burning. 
What about the boys that started the forest fire? I'm sorry. That was so dumb of us. We didn't mean to do it. Well, there's a house burnt down over there, and they're still trying to contain this thing. That's a nice apology, but understand that the damage is still not only just done, but it's still rolling on. So I, I, want, I want us to understand the power of speech and the importance that James puts on controlling the tongue because it's like a fire. And a fire is not just about the damage it does today because when I say something about someone to someone else, I've affected their impression of that person, and then they're going to go to the next person, and it's going to spread. Amen? It spreads. So guess what? Don't add fuel to the fire. Don't add fuel to the fire. Sometimes you have to choose not to even receive or listen. Amen? Praise God. It's about being healthy and not being defiled and not causing the fire to spread. It's so important to avoid gossip. It's like fire, and as it spreads, it destroys. Amen? So you have a power with your tongue. Now, you may not have the power in your tongue like Adolf Hitler to destroy millions of lives, and you may not actually wreck cities with your tongue, but they can break hearts and ruin reputations. And they can even destroy, our tongues can even destroy souls by sending them in the wrong direction into an eternity without Christ. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, I want my heart to be surrendered to Jesus Christ so that the release, the overflow, is something that gives positive direction, positive hope, encouragement, inspiration, faith to people that hear the word. Here's the key verse. I want you to get this key verse. This is not in James. This is Colossians 4, 6. I love this verse. It says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned, seasoned with salt. Amen. Now, also the tongue can be like a dangerous or poisonous animal, not just compared to a fire, but a dangerous poisonous animal. Like a, like, a, like a wild animal, the tongue is restless and cannot be ruled. Like an animal, it may seek its prey and then pounce and kill. And I know you all looking at me pious, but you know what I'm talking about. You've been mad before. You've been hurt before. You've been that person scorned. Amen. Some animals are poisonous, just like some tongues spread poison. Deceptive thing, there's a deceptive thing about poison is that it works secretly and slowly and then it kills. Poison, tongue, can be full of poison. And I've seen, I've observed in uh, my life growing up in church, I've seen poisonous tongues do great damage to people, to families. And even affect the direction of an entire church. Man, God's given us tremendous power with our tongue. The power of life and death is in the tongue. The power of revival or destruction is in the tongue. So speak things that are encouraging. Speak things that lift people up. Amen. Come on. Amen. This is the truth. This is about growing up and being what God desires for us to be. Now, I, I wonder, do you think, I mean, you know me pretty good. Most of you know me pretty good by now. 
it would be out of character for me, right, to on Sunday, you come in here, and just like I kind of surprised you with these pictures a little bit ago, if I said, AJ, let's show him our big surprise. And he went and opened my office door, and when he opened it, a huge lion comes just running out into the congregation and just starts pouncing on people. I wouldn't do that. You know I wouldn't. Can, can, can we agree I wouldn't do that? Or, or uh, you're just sitting here in the service, and I said, you may not know it, but somebody's in the secret seat this Sunday. And uh, if you're in the secret seat, it's your lucky day because there's a rattlesnake under your seat. I would not loose a poisonous snake or a, a lion or a tiger into the congregation. I wouldn't do it. But unruly tongues accomplish the same results. And, uh, but, but here's the deal. Here's what I want you to understand. That animals can be tamed, and really so can a fire be tamed. And it can be used for something profitable. If you tame an animal, you can turn a destroyer into a worker. If you tame or control fire, it can generate power. A tamed tongue can do great things for God. Amen? But we can't tame it. No man can tame it. It has to be tamed by God. And in, in verse 6, it says, literally at the end, it says uh, that a tongue that is set on fire of hell. So your tongue has a power of fire. And it can be set on fire from hell or it can be set on Holy Ghost fire. Acts 2.38 fire. Tongues of fire. Holy Ghost and fire. And it can do some positive things as well. There is power. There's more power in your tongue than there is anywhere to do good for the kingdom of God. Amen? Praise God. So it has to be tamed by God. And if God is the one that lights the fire and controls it, the tongue can be a mighty tool for winning the lost and building up a church. And understand that the important thing is the heart. We said it earlier, I want to remind you, Matthew twelve thirty four says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So it's not a matter of just controlling your speech. It's a matter of getting your heart right. I want to talk here for just a second. I want to get your attention. Say, so what have you been doing for the last 40 minutes? I, I want to specifically get your attention because a lot of times when people speak hurtful things, when people use their tongue in a hurtful manner, I've found a lot of times it's displaced anger. Displaced anger. You know why? Because their heart is full of either hurt or unforgiveness from something that happened in the past. And when they get upset, it just comes out. And whoever's in the way or whoever happens to be interfacing with their life right then becomes the recipient of the pain or whoever makes them mad because their heart is not right. And, and I want to tell you that you can come to an altar and pray. You can repent. You can be baptized. You could receive the Holy Spirit. But there needs to be inner healing where you release some things that are in your heart. I know that there are people that have faced tremendous pain in their life, that have experienced tremendous misuse and abuse. And in order for their tongue to be right, their heart has to be right. Things have to be put on the altar. Not only that, but you know what? I, I'm going to tell you right now, when my tongue gets out of control is when I am carrying too much of a load, have too much stress and worry, 
about things that I'm not supposed to be stressing and worrying about. Because the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Can I preach to myself right now for a minute here? Be anxious for nothing. And when I'm carrying around a load of frustration and anxiety and stress, my heart is not in the condition that God wants it to be in, and it's going to overflow through my mouth, and I'm going to speak hurtful things. So guess what? If we're going to consecrate our tongues, we've got to consecrate our hearts. We've got to say, God, I'm giving it up to you. Amen? Amen. I may be getting calls from the creditors, and you may be getting uh, uh, stress and pressure from all sides, and you may be hearing it from your wife and your, your spouse, and you may be hearing it from here and there, but you've got to say, this is not mine. The battle's not mine. The battle is the Lord's. He said, cast your cares on me. He careth for you. And that stress you're carrying around in your heart has caused you to pop off in the mouth, start fires with your mouth. That unforgiveness for something that happened a long time ago, you won't even think about consciously, but it has affected your heart. It pours out and causes you to speak evil of people or speak negative things or speak in anger. If we want to consecrate our tongues, we've got to start by saying, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Hallelujah. Renew a right spirit within me. God, I want to forgive that person. I want to release whatever it is, those bad feelings, that sense that somebody's out to get me or somebody wants to hurt me. I've got to re- I can't hold on to that and have a consecrated tongue. I've got to release it. I've got to release it, and I've got to let it go. If my heart is filled with hatred, Satan will light the fire. And if my heart is filled with love, Jesus Christ will light the fire. And the tongue that could destroy a lot could end up burning a lot of sin out and and giving people hope, hallelujah, and bringing people to the cross uh, and giving people something to look forward to, amen? Praise God, because the third thing that a tongue can be is the tongue has the power to delight. It has the power to direct. It has the power to destroy. But thank God that the the tongue also has power to delight. The fountain and the tree. Verse number 9. This is the end here. 9 through 12. Therefore, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. It's incredulous. It's incredulity that he's communicating here. We bless God with our mouth, and then we curse men who are made in the image of God. Got a problem here. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. So the fountain, the picture of this fountain that provides cool water, that's water's needed for a man to stay alive. And, And in ancient times, if a village had a fountain, it was a great blessing to that village. Proverbs 18 and 4 said, The words of a man's mouth are as deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom, a flowing brook. The words of a man's mouth are as deep waters. And Proverbs 10 11 concurs with what James is saying. It says, The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. The 
the mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. And we know that water is a life-giving source. And our words can be life-giving as well. Anybody ever received an encouraging word at just the right time? Boom. My Lord, I'm telling you, there is some power in the right word at the right time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, going from despair to great faith because somebody was led of God to speak the right word. Somebody's heart was surrendered to God, therefore their tongue was surrendered to God, therefore God breathed through them, and God, and God through them spoke a word of encouragement to you. It was a wellspring of life. It was refreshing. It was, you're like crawling through the desert, so to speak, and your mouth is dry, your lips are cracked, uh, your tongue is swelling, uh, you're so thirsty And all of a sudden, someone comes along with a wellspring of life. Your words can be a delight. Your tongue can be used in a delightful fashion to bring hope to people. Hallelujah. And water also cleanses. And we know that the Word of God is the spiritual water that cleanses us. But our words to others can also cleanse and sanctify them when we speak the Word. And and also the tongue can be delightful. By being a tree. Uh, So our words, just like a tree, gives shade and shelter and fruit to someone that's a weary traveler and feed a hungry soul. The word that we speak can be like that tree. When we share the word of God, it provides spiritual food to someone and encouragement for someone else as they travel when we speak the words of God. God, I'm, I'm, I'm praying. I'm ready to grow up. Anybody ready to grow up and let our tongues, our words, our voice, our speech be that which encourages, that which refreshes, that which brings hope. And, and I put a, a guard over my mouth to never speak evil and never to run people down and never to speak hurtful things and never to speak angry words and consecrate my tongue and my mouth each day. Hallelujah. And give it to the Lord and make sure my heart stays clean so that the, the wellspring of my life is pure hallelujah hallelujah so if if we're rooted in the word of god we can be like this tree that gives forth fruit but if you're not rooted in the word of god then you're not going to to bear this kind of fruit psalms chapter one blessed is the man that uh, walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly sitteth in the way of sinner his delight is in the law of the lord and the law he doth meditate day and night The end result is that he produces fruit in due season. And and guess where this comes from? My brothers and sisters, guess where this comes from? It comes from spending time with God, spending time in God's presence. You can come to church all you want. You can hang out with me and hang out with good people. But you're not going to be rooted in the Word. You're not going to bear fruit until you start spending time with God. You've got to spend time in the presence of the Lord. You've got to get close to Him. See, Jesus always spoke the right thing. Can I get an amen on that? You believe? Jesus always had the right word to say. And you say, well, obviously, He was God manifest in the flesh. That is true. But also, I want you to notice that Jesus communed with His Father. Jesus, as a man, communed with his father. Mark 135 says, In the morning, rising up a great while before day, he, Jesus, went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he 
prayed. If I want to give nourishment and strength to other people, I've got to have my roots in the Word of God, and I've got to be exposed to time in the presence of the Lord. If I want to have a tongue that delights, if I want to have a tongue that brings refreshing, we must meet with the Lord every day and learn from Him. Amen? And we've got to get our spiritual roots deep into the Word of God. We've got to pray. We've got to meditate. We've got to permit the Spirit of God to fill our hearts with love and with truth. Hey, guess what? You can't do it through your willpower. Guess what? You can't do it by trying to control what you say. You've got to spend time in the presence of God. I don't care how long you've known God. I don't care how long you've been to church. I don't care who your mom and daddy is. I don't care who your grandpa is. You've got to spend time in the presence of the Lord. I don't care how many verses of Scripture that you can quote. I don't care how many uh, uh, church services that you've been to. You've got to. I've got to spend time daily in the presence of the Lord. If I want my life to benefit other people, it's not my skills and my abilities and my talents that people want to enjoy. It's the fruit that they're hungry for. And fruit only comes from being in the presence of God and being anchored and rooted in the Word of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. James says here that a fountain can't give forth both bitter and sweet water. Fig tree only gives figs. That means nature produces after its kind. So if the tongue is inconsistent in blessing God and cursing a man, there's something radically wrong with the heart. And the tongue that blesses God and then curses men A man who is made in God's image is in desperate need of some spiritual medicine. These things ought not to be so. But the problem is not the tongue. The problem is the heart. Amen. Verse 14. Verse 14. The problem is the heart. We we looked at in Matthew. Matthew 15, 18. Those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Something pours out of your heart. So we've got to purge our heart of bitterness, envyings, unforgiveness, because whatever's in your heart will flow out. Amen. I told the story one time of the village that had contaminated water. They didn't realize that it was, that was the case, but a lot of children were dying and getting sick in the village. There was just a kind of a prevailing sickness, and so they, this was in a, a primitive village in Africa, so they brought some people in from the big city to observe, figure out what the problem was. They tested the stream that came by, the little river stream that came by the village, and tested the water, and it had high levels of contaminant bacteria in the water, and they pinpointed this must be the problem. So they went back up the stream, and they had a diver dive down, true story, and they discovered that there was the vestiges of a rotting carcass of a pig that had been swimming or in the river and gotten caught, drowned, and was there. And so everything that flowed past that rotting carcass was affected with the corruption of that carcass all on downstream. And this is the way people's lives are when their hearts have bitterness, unforgiveness, envying, and strife in them. That's why you can't afford it. You've got to forgive that person not for their sake but for your sake. Because everybody who's impacted by you, everything that flows out of you is going to be influenced by that hurt. 
So there's got to be a purging and a cleansing. And it can only come by spending time with, in prayer with God and saying, God, I want to get this right. I want my heart to be right. You've got to pray every day and fill your hearts with God's word. Forgive other people. Yield to the Holy Spirit. And you'll begin to bring delight to other people. Amen. Praise God. The smallest but largest troublemaker in the world is the tongue. But it doesn't have to be a troublemaker. Our tongues can direct people into life, can delight them, even in the midst of their trials of life. So I want us to consecrate our tongues to God. I want us to consecrate our tongue to God. God, you gave me this mouth. You gave me this tongue. This is the most powerful tool for good or for evil that I have. This is the most powerful tool for life or for death that I have. Your word says what comes out of my mouth will defile me. Jesus, I'm praying today, right now, Lord God, that my mouth would be consecrated to you. I don't want to stay a spiritual baby. I don't want to fall in the same trap over and over and over again. But in Jesus' name, I want to consecrate my tongue and my mouth. Lord God, let my heart be right and let my words be right. I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. We're going to pray uh, together just where we're seated before we leave. But here's a scripture verse I want you to take and I want you to use. I want you to use it this week. I want you to use it every day during your prayer time. Every day during your prayer time. And I don't know but what this might not be a good idea to make this a part of your prayer time for the rest of your life. Psalms chapter 19 verse 14. Psalms 19 and 14. I want you to take this verse with you. And I want you to pray it. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God, before I go to work today, I've got one request of you. Before I go to school today, I've got one request of you. Before I face my difficulties and my people that drive me nuts today, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, hallelujah. Amen. It's easy to go with the flow. Oh, and it's easy just to let your tongue do whatever it wants to and speak whatever it desires. But God, let the words of my mouth. Hey, come on. It's not enough just to come to church. And it's not enough just to ha have crossed off the, the things of being repenting and being baptized and getting the Holy Ghost. It's time to grow up. Lord, a mature member has control of his mouth as evidence that he has control of everything. God, I pray that you would help me, Lord Jesus. Help me in the name of the Lord. Let's Stand together right now in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I want you just to close your eyes for a few moments right now and just receive the word and talk to Jesus. Let's do that together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word today, Lord God. I thank you, Jesus, for your promises and your presence. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Why did God choose tongues as the sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Hey, if your tongue is surrendered, that means the whole body is surrendered to the Lord. Hallelujah. Come, can you praise Him right now for a minute? Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, 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 hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, in the name of the Lord, hallelujah, 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 amen. While we're dismissed, one last practical tip while you're praying this week in your prayer time before before you go out or at the end of the day, however you do it. Um, pray this verse pray, pray it from your heart Words of my mouth, meditations of my heart Acceptable in your sight, O Lord Number two, I want you to think back Through the day before And I want you to remember every Idle, unkind Harsh, destructive Word you've spoken And I want you to repent for it Confess it and repent You know why? Because when you confess and you repent, then God has power to heal and to change your approach. But if you just keep doing it, doing it, and you're not even conscious of what's happening, so stop for a minute and think through, what did I say? What did I speak? Did I lose control of my tongue? Forgive me, Lord, for that. Name it. Confess it. Ask forgiveness. God's faithful and just to forgive us. But not only that, but he can change us through that process. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.